Fourth grade was a big year at H.B. DuPont Middle School. Because it's the year we got to join the band. And on the day we picked out instruments, I chose the clarinet. Not because I like the clarinet, but because my best friend Jeremy chose the clarinet. And I figured we could sit next to each other. What I didn't realize was that Jeremy and I were the only two boys who would pick the clarinet. And I also didn't realize that he'd be really, really good at it. So, you know, we started out the year sitting next to one another. But a month later, I was stuck staring at the back of his head with about 17 or 18 girls sitting between us. But, and I promise there's a point to this, it wasn't long before the kids in my school started poking fun at the boys who played clarinet. It wasn't as, quote, girly as the flute, but it was in the same bracket. So I started a PR campaign. I said the clarinet's great because it gets you out of study hall. It's great because you can use the carrying case as a shield in snowball fights. It's great because you can coat the reed in fun dip, which I actually did so it tastes like cherry candy while you play, and you cannot do that with a trumpet. Like a nine-year-old Don Draper, I took this thing that was seen as not fit for boys and started a campaign to make it a thing of envy. And I kind of spun my way out of any bullying. Like I've said before, my grandfather was a botanist, so I never saw gardening or really most things as gendered. I was encouraged to pursue the arts and really just anything I was interested in. I was never told cooking or sport or dance or engineering or men's or women's work. That's kind of how my family was, and that just wasn't my home. But last week, as I started thinking about what sort of flowers I might try to plant in my garden, I kept stumbling into these weirdly gendered posts on the internet. They screamed things like, Do real men garden? Three reasons why flowers can be masculine. Manly horticulturists in history. In a strange way, it felt like algorithms were trying to tell me, Don't worry, it's okay to be a guy and garden. And it made me wonder, how has the culture around gender and gardening changed? And does gardening feel like a safe space for everyone to get their hands dirty? Let's dig in. Hey there, I'm Mangesh Atikudur, co-host of Part-Time Genius, one of the founders of Mental Floss, and this is Humans Growing Stuff, a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at miracle Grow. Our goal is to make this the most human show about plants you'll ever listen to. Along the way, we'll share inspiring stories, tips and tricks to nurture your plant addiction, and just enough science to make you sound like an expert. Today's show is all about gender and gardening, what your plants say about you, and how men have opened up their arms and their hearts to embrace the world of growing. Chapter 11, Plant Daddies, Miracle Bros, and the Seeds of Modern Masculinity. Maybe this is just how I want to view the world. But one of the things I find heartening about watching kids today hang out in New York is that kids who are clearly artsy or gay or queer don't seem to be ostracized or bullied the way they were when I was younger. I don't know whether it's the internet or the way TV has shaped us or maybe being raised by a generation that grew up on Mr. Rogers but it feels like there's less pressure to fit into a certain stereotypical mold and more space to explore who you are and who you want to be. 
and it made me consider just how much things have changed. I was reading Michael Perry's Mr. Plant Geek website this week, and I stumbled into this article he wrote called Beating the Stigma Around Gender and Gardening. In it, he writes about hiding his love from gardening from his schoolmates. The same way he hid his sexuality. And in one paragraph, he talks about being called a pansy on the playground and how, quote, the way school bullies grabbed that innocent plant name and used it to hurt me really summed up how they felt about my less than masculine weekend hobby. Just hearing that made my stomach drop. And I want to hear how his perspective has changed, how he's learned to embrace his identity as a gardener. So we called him up. Hey, Michael. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's so nice to have you back on the program. I've got to say, I loved your tips so much. And I, and I loved all the plants that I showed my kids, the dancing plants, oh, yeah. how you could hang flowers upside down and all these amazing wonders. But I'm thrilled to have you back on the program. Oh, no problem. It's, it's good to be here and good to share my love of innovation and new plants and new ways of growing plants and, and most of all, easier ways to grow the plants yeah. we love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, today we're talking about masculinity and gardening, and, and I want to get mm-hmm. into that topic. But before any of that, I know the last time we chatted with you, you were, I think, just laying down concrete in, in your backyard and, oh, and okay, yeah. out your garden. How's that coming along? Well, we're developed now, so it's the finishing touches because everything, obviously, after the concrete, then came the decking, painting. I then planted everything, so I planted lots of bulbs, lots of bare roots. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to really multi-plant and have some real colonies of bulbs, and and I tend to plant them very closely together as well because I like them to support each other and to have that kind of informality and just keeping my fingers crossed that everything I planted will appear (laughs) so it's always a bit of a leap of faith when Uh you plant something in the autumn and you don't see anything until spring and it's kind of you know it still makes me kind of like get anxious as it were (laughs) once i get my tulips with their lovely luscious leaves you know dangling over my concrete i'll be happy (laughs) That that all sounds nice. So, you know, one of the things that we're talking about on this program is about masculinity and gardening and also just like beating the stigma around gender Mm -hmm. and gardening. And so I I know you wrote an article about this a while ago and and I really loved reading it. I I was curious what prompted you to to put your feelings out there and write write about this topic. Uh, I think kind of my love of plants and sexuality have always been kind of intertwined both in a good way and in a bad way and Mm. I'm just really jealous now of younger people these days because it is so much easier to be yourself and I don't just mean sexuality wise I mean in terms of following your interests the things you really love because we've got the internet which has really helped and social media so you can find other people that are interested in that very niche thing that you're interested in so it just kind of helps the whole sense of community And it's funny because, I don't know, when you're interested in plants from a young age, you are automatically kind of, you know, people take the mick out of you and they kind of call you a pansy or all sorts of different awful names, which are obviously relating to your love of plants, but also, you know, tinged with that sexuality edge as well. So it's kind of, hopefully things have changed a lot these days, but it's kind of like, for me, the plants and the sexuality have always been intertwined, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is true about community mm. and being able to find community through the internet 
people felt so alone and, and even finding information was difficult. Yeah. It, the YouTube videos are, are so easy to access now versus like the, the difficulty of like having to go to the library, having to find specialty books, like all, honestly, and finding someone with that interest, right? Yeah. And I do wonder if the world opening up, the kind of community opening up, you know, at the same time as people getting to know each other, they've realized that there are more people out there like them, which is, you know, obviously gay, bi, you know, and interested in plants and so on. It's funny because the last time we talked, we chatted about your love of gardening partially coming from mm. your grandparents' home, yeah. right? And 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 watching your grandparents' garden. And I always wanted to do more gardening because my grandfather was a botanist. But those ideas were so romantic. And mm -hmm. then to know that you kind of had to hide these feelings in school is is really, I don't know, it's depressing. I don't know. I, I kind of hid it, but I still had a really nice time within that because I made, I created my own world, my own world mm. where I was, you know, loving plants, spending time with plants. And, you know, obviously the school part of it was just, you know, the thing that had to be bearable, but right. I didn't necessarily hide it from my friends, but I just didn't mention it in particular, you know, or, yeah, yeah. Or I would have said I was playing with something cool at the weekend, like Lego or something that wasn't, <laughs> wasn't plants. Yeah. <laughs> and yet the idea of like growing something out of nothing and, and yeah. like watching it blossom and sharing food is, is, is so much cooler than uh, sticking Legos together in some ways. Yeah. But, Unless you're making uh, a Lego bouquet or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about when you started opening up to your school friends or more people about this gardening identity you had. Yeah, it's really hard to judge. I wonder if I was a straight guy, if I would have felt the same embarrassment about loving plants. But then in those days, it, it wasn't cool to like anything that was kind of out of the ordinary anyway. There was always some trend where there was always some jacket you had to have or you know, when it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you had to be interested in that. And if you were interested in anything else, then you would be kind of, you know, an outcast. So, yeah, I do think it was hard to be an individual in any way in those days. Yeah. I feel like I've seen magazine articles and website articles recently about how it's okay to give men flowers and the type of flowers mm. men like. And it's so strange to put any sort of limits or ideas on those things. Yeah, I know. I know. It's so bizarre. Social media has changed so much because now I sometimes I'm on there and one of my friends that has probably taken the mick out of me liking plants in the past is then mm. buying their, their first houseplant, you know, so everyone's been, you know, carried along with this journey, which is fantastic. And then of course you put pandemic into the mix and that is the thing that has accelerated it as well yeah it's a golden time for us because we're accepted from all angles it's, it couldn't be better no i i, I completely agree I, mm. i've got two kids and i watch it at my kids school and my seven-year-old identifies as a they and it's amazing to see the sort of acceptance that is there in the world and and of mm -hmm. all interests in a new way that i just don't think was there at least when i was growing up but yeah no totally it's just It's amazing, really. I'd like I'd like to be younger now and see if it would be easier or perhaps then these days there's different worries. I think there's just a different set of things to worry about now. I, I agree. There's always space to uh, occupy that worry, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah definitely. So our, our episode is about plant daddies mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to figure out what those words mean exactly. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy that sort of moniker or take any pride in it? Yeah, I mean, it's 
it's never not puzzling because, you know, kind of <laughs> loving plants was something that wasn't popular. You know, obviously being gay was something that wasn't popular. It's just amazing that those two worlds, two worlds that I'm very involved in, collided in this way. And I'm not single, but I can see that there's a lot of dating elements that go in there. And it almost seems like people meet each other through plant daddy hashtag on Instagram or through, you know, Facebook page with boys with plants or similar. And I think a lot of guys are meeting through that method these days rather than your typical, you know, meetup apps or different ways that you might have dated in the past, which is very, really interesting thing to look in on because that is a very different movement as well. Yeah. You talked a little earlier about your own garden and the idea of bulbs supporting each other sounds kind of uh, adorable. Yeah. (laughs) But I also find it super interesting that you said bulbs grow better together in communities. It's not dissimilar from humans, really. So why do you grow the bulbs in that way? (laughs) Well, I'm quite an impatient gardener, so I always want to have impact as soon as possible. So even with my garden, you know, I talk about the leap of faith of growing bulbs in the autumn and then having to wait until the spring. And it's just, it's, it's far too much. So, so when the bulbs come through, I want them to have impact from the, the word go. So I tend to plant them very closely, you know, much more closely than it would tell you on the label or on the instructions, because I want that impact sooner. And I want them to kind of be this lovely big clump and this like vivid color explosion. And of course, when you plant them closer, it makes more sense because the bulbs, the stems, all support each other because you've got this big, almost thicket of growth that is then supporting all the flower heads rather than a single bulb, you know, solitary in the border and another one is six inches away. It's just, it doesn't make sense because they're just going to blow about all over the place. (laughs) Well, I I like the idea also of... um you know, the idea of these bulbs near each other and supporting each other rather than isolated. There's, there's something wonderful in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting because the fact I've been talking about bulbs being planted closely together and that gives support and it gives a kind of more community feel, it has a bigger effect. That really relates a lot to how life is and how life has been with social media is the lubricant and kind of the, the openness that we now have, the ability to find like-minded individuals that we then support each other. And then we, you know, we amplify gardening and the whole plant world. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting parallel there. Just uh, a few final tips. Now spring is hitting here in Brooklyn. Anything I should be thinking about as I'm uh, figuring out what to do in my garden? Gosh, well, it's, time soon to sow some vegetables and some salad crops outdoors or if you haven't got any outside then it could be microgreens on a windowsill or if you are gardening inside then soon your houseplants are going to start needing some feed again and a bit more water so hopefully you've given them a bit of a winter rest but soon they'll be bouncing back into life. Michael, thank you so much for being here with us. I feel like I can't wait to see what your garden looks like on your Instagram and then how it changes uh, a year from then. Hey, no worries. Thank you very much. It's been really, really cool to be here and speak to you again and hope to talk to you again sometime soon. That sounds wonderful. Humans Growing Stuff will be right back after a short break.
The other day, I was scrolling through the comment section of Reddit posts with strangers, trying to figure out what's going to happen on the next season of Lupin. And it reminded me that while the internet is a source of a lot of truly, truly awful things, you get moments like this when we get to connect with people around the world who are so different from us about topics we have a shared interest in. And in this case, it was a heated debate about what we think we know about being a successful jewel thief in France that none of us has any expertise in. But thanks to platforms like Instagram and Pinterest, we've seen more and more communities come together, including men embracing their love of houseplants in these creative and very expressive ways. In large part, these sites are where the plant daddy movement was born. Living at the intersection of horticulture and sexuality, the plant daddy movement has given men this opportunity to display a new side of masculinity and create a space for men to connect with each other as humans over their love of plants. You know, most plant daddies are houseplant parents, and this growing trend has been gaining numbers for the last few years. According to a survey from the National Gardening Association, millennials accounted for one-fourth of plant purchases in 2018. And it's important to note that tropical houseplants were the dominant purchase there. And more significantly than any of that, men made up 53% of those purchases. 53%. So today you can follow accounts like Boys With Plants and see men of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds posing proudly with their parlor palms or bird's nest ferns. Because more than anything, the plant daddy movement is rooted in freedom of expression. So much of our show is about not stereotyping people and boxing them in, but YouTube diva Miss Lady the Plant Lady enjoys analyzing the plants in your collection and using them to do exactly that, interpret your personality. For her, plants are like a zodiac chart telling her everything she needs to know about the type of man or person who cares for, I don't know, a ZZ plant? So this week, we invited her to share her powers of perception with us and give us the tea on different types of plant owners. Is Miss Lady on the other side? Was getty, was getty, was getty. <laughs> Miss Lady, the plant lady, I'm so excited to have you on. I've seen your features in Paper Magazine. I've read about you on Apartment Therapy. I've seen your Instagram and it's just so fun to be chatting with you. What's up, boo? I'm happy to be here and excited to be chatting with you. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous about this. I'm going to give you the name of a plant and I want your take on the personality traits of the plant dad who lives with this plant. Perf, let's do it. Let, let me get these chakras ready. Let me get these vibes ready. <laughs> so what does it mean if someone has a pothos plant on their mantle? Okay, well, if you go into their house and mm -hmm. this man has a pothos in his house, he is a man who is a little basic. He's not the one. Oh no! <laughs> you know what? I love me some pothos, and I and I own them myself, so I'm uh -huh. maybe reading myself a little bit. <laughs> pothos are great; they're really resilient. You could literally put them anywhere, and they're gonna like survive and thrive and do their thing. Uh -huh. In nature, they're amazing. They're climbers; they get huge and all that. 
Mm-hmm. But the kind of person who brings that into their home, there's no thought process to it. It's just, okay, this will survive. We'll just throw it here. Avoid them. But that's just, that's the tea. That's the tea. <laughs> so this is another plant that I feel like these fiddle leaf figs are everywhere. And I'm curious what your thoughts are when you walk into an apartment and see one on full display. Okay. This, and like, you really can't see me right now, but I have like my hand on my forehead and I'm just like, stay <laughs> Stay away from this man. To be honest, I've never even owned a fiddle leaf fig. And I've owned like pretty much every plant. You live in a rainforest essentially, right? <laughs> Your apartment. Pretty much. And this is the one plant I do not let into my into my space because of the energy that it gives off. Uh-huh. A few basic traits that I would give a person who has a fiddle leaf mm-hmm. is they're a little selfish and it's either their way or the highway. Hmm. You know, like fiddle leaves, once you put them into place in your house and they start to grow... Don't touch them. Don't do anything different. Leave them where they're at because they'll drop leaves like crazy. They'll get brown edges. It is the most problematic plant. Mm. They just show you no kind of love. So just too finicky. Too finicky. Mm. And we don't want that. We don't want that energy in in 2021. Mm. 2020 was enough. You know? (laughs) Yeah. No more fiddly figs. I feel that. (laughs) So tell me about succulents and and maybe cacti in particular. I feel like it's all bad news. What? (laughs) Okay, I don't really care for plants that could hurt me. Mm-hmm. Thorns, spikes, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the aura that I get from a man who has a cacti is good from afar, mm. but far from good. When you're growing these luscious green tropical plants, you love touching the foliage and seeing like the textures. Some are velvety, some are rubbery and leathery, and it's part of this relationship with your plants. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like succulents represent that kind of man that is totally closed off. Yeah, He's very beautiful. He's handsome. He's gorgeous. So but when you get close and you try to touch, you're going to get spikes. Yeah. And we're not dealing with that. We're not dealing with that. <laughs> Just a prickly pear. A yeah. prickly pear. Good from afar, but far from good. So I'm ready for some good news. Yes. What are your feelings on a ZZ plant? Now, see, this is a plant I could get behind. (laughs) Azizi is completely underrated. Uh It might not be the showiest plant, Mm. but let me tell you, the Azizi is going to stick with you through thick and thin. Azizis don't need that much water. They're very hardy and resilient plants. You could even sometimes throw Azizi in a closet for like a month or two and go check it in a month and it'll still be alive. It won't be thriving. Don't do that to the poor Azizi, you know? (laughs) And yeah, so in regards to a man who has Azizi, he is a man who is loyal, who is going to stick with you through the good times mm-hmm. and the bad times. And that's the man you marry if you believe in that. So I approve of that. So I have another one for you that I'm seeing pop up a whole lot recently on Pinterest. And I think it's called Anthurium Waraquianum. Do you know how, Do you know what that is? Yes. Anthurium Waraquianum. Oh, okay. The Queen Anthurium. And like in the plant community right now, there's like spikes and plants that become very popular. The variegated monstera and then the pink princess was one. And now it's the anthurium waraquianum or the queen anthurium. And this one is an interesting one. It's detail oriented. The man who has this characteristics that really like describe him are somebody who is invested Mm -hmm. in you and invested in life and invested in the little things Mm -hmm. because he knows the fruits that come when you pay attention and put focus on life, relationships, work, all of those things. So 
I get behind that man too. He's a lot more work than the ZZ, but <laughs> but worth it. But worth it. Go big or go home, right? I saw one with a friend, and they said that it looked like Cheetos were growing out of it. <laughs> yes, the inflorescence. Yes, yeah. when they get pollinated, the fruits turn orange, which is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> And and one last question. I read that part of your design sense comes from from your grandparents, from the way your grandmother kept the house, but your grandfather's exotic bird collection. And I was curious what sort of matches your grandfather's personality. Yeah. I mean, my grandfather, always the birds that he brought were just always very exotic. Mm. And I was born in the U.S., but they came over from Cuba in 1979. Mm-hmm. And... Because of them always telling me like their stories of how it was in Cuba and them growing up, seeing like my grandfather bringing in like plants that were reminiscent of Cuba, or, like that they're like planting them around the house or inside the house. Mm-hmm. And even some of the birds and stuff that they had, I always felt that was the connection, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plants and animals, like that was my connection to, oh, this is the piece of Cuba that I didn't get to experience with them, but I'm experiencing it with them in real time right now. Yeah, that's lovely. And yeah, no, and I feel like a lot of the birds were always like beautiful and like flamboyant and stuff like that. And I feel like it was a reflection of how he like viewed Cuba. Mm. Well, I love these descriptions. I can't wait to go out into the world and stereotype everyone based on their plant collections. <laughs> but <laughs> but I really appreciate this, Miss Lady. It's been so fun. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. If you ever need me to read some more plant horoscopes, let me know. <laughs> Will do. One of my favorite sites on the web is the sociology site Society Pages. And I love it because they analyze culture in all sorts of intriguing ways. Like in one post, they analyzed over 300 kids books, including Richard Scarry's Busy Town books. And they learned that mice and pigs mostly get depicted in service industry jobs, while more predatory creatures like lions often end up as executives. They also do a couple of Pinterest collections, including one of pointlessly gendered items. And the page is filled with real items like Mangria, a sangria men can feel comfortable drinking at barbecues, Chapfix, a chapstick that's engineered for men, and Kleenex for men, which sports man-sized tissues. If we're being honest, it all feels a little ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, why do men need a manly label to justify that they like fruit and wine? Or why would someone feel inadequate about buying tissues to blow their nose in? It is a bodily need. And when you're about to sneeze, most people are just looking for something to sneeze into and grateful they have any tissues on hand, let alone something gendered. But the truth is, there is nothing gendered about any of these products. And there's no reason to feel less of a man because you're passionate about plant care. But where does this all come from? The site also has an interesting history of gardening on it, showing how the nation's first popular garden designer, this guy named Andrew Jackson Downing, who I guess was a Martha Stewart-like tastemaker, taught people how to design a tasteful garden way back in the 1840s. So as more and more houses were set back from the street, Downing wrote, quote, men should tend the lawn, walkways, vegetables, and fruit trees, and women, the flowers. Meanwhile, a book called Gardening for Ladies, published in England around the same time, encouraged women to get in the garden and actually gave them permission to go outside and do something. 
So for proper women to be told playing in the dirt was okay, as long as they didn't exhaust themselves too much, that was liberating. But this book, too, focused their world to flowers. And as Society Pages points out, these stereotypes persisted, especially as lawnmowers were marketed to men in the 1850s. But between quarantine and the connections we can make through Instagram, new communities have sprouted up, and there are so many different ways to picture your pursuits. In previous episodes, we've talked about black gardening communities, we've seen the world where sneakerheads and plants collide, and we've heard people label themselves plant parents and members of plant parenthood. While the Plant Daddies movement was born from the LGBTQ community, men of all sexual preferences and identities have come to embrace their status as plant parents, and we are excited to talk about it too. I sent my producer Molly out to talk to men from all across the U.S. who love their plants, from flower beds to jade plants. They shared their thoughts around plant care and masculinity. I'm Bob Hershon, and I like plants. You know, when you, you touched on the 1800s and gardening, that just reminded me. Leo Tolstoy, the, the novelist, he was born an aristocrat. All the money he could ever need. He had peasants, hundreds of them taking care of the outdoors. But it was very important to him to go outside and prove that he knew how to use a shovel and he could use a plow and he could use a scythe. And that showed that he was a real man. He was really masculine. You know, to be a real guy, you know, you, you have to go out and make stuff grow. And that whole idea caught on. And I think that we're kind of stuck because of that. And I think that we do have a lot of men that live, that act badly and think of masculinity as, you know, being a big doofus. Or at least that because they are males, they have license to be a big doofus. And I think that's terrible and negative. And I see signs that we're getting away from that. And I hope that's true. E.J. Horn, I'm located in Versailles, Kentucky. I grew up on a farm. We had uh, bulldozers and sawmills and tractors and excavators and everything, driven coal trucks. I mean, and everybody can say, you know, oh, well, I'm asking, is your job or whatever? But the, the process of creation and just the process of watching things flower is just, is really neat. It's a miracle. I mean, it really is. And to bring those into the house and to, not beautify the house and see other people get to enjoy those things, or that's just a good feeling. My name is Douglas Waterbury Teeman. I'm currently living in Franklin, Tennessee with my wife. I do believe that flowers can be masculine. I suppose the most important thing is that the, is the human response to them, not the gendered response to them. I, you know, as humans, we are attracted to beauty and, and flowers are undeniably and unmistakably beautiful. My name is Joel Arnold and I grew up in Michigan where I really liked gardening and I now live in Los Angeles where I don't have a garden, but I do take care of a few houseplants. For the guy who's like very skeptical of plant care, if they are wanting to like attract a partner, it shows like that they can care and that they have some kind of responsibility to them if they have house plants that they're actively caring for, like in their space. I feel like showing that you can take care of like your space, having it clean, like that's one thing. Another level would be like plant care. Like that's that's very attractive, I feel like. My name is Jake Placini. I live in Brooklyn, New York. 
when it comes down to it, they're just like nice to look at, <laughs> you know, putting care into them, you know, you get, you get something back. I think I just enjoy growing things and being able to transform the space into a space that is nice to walk in, that is nice to sit in, to contemplate, you know, have people over and, and allow them the, the space and the time to do the same. My name is Ramsey Yunt. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. It's the same nurturing you give to anyone, and in particular for me, like with my partner and as well as with my daughter. I try to be as nurturing as I can with her, and I try to get her excited about things. Like I try to keep her involved with what's growing out in the garden. If she's having a bad day, just to get her mind off as like, hey, the peach tree's blossoming. That was pretty huge for her because she she loves peaches and just seeing her demeanor change into happiness it's makes me happy as a father to see that my love for flowers and my love for gardening always came from my dad my name's ben porson i live in philadelphia i've been living here for about 18 months you can't care for a plant without understanding it in a way that i think men don't do very often and you know and you've got to listen to the plant and that's always a healthy thing to do uh you've got to care for it in a way that i think is sometimes quite unmasculine but it's definitely got the power to to change the conversation to you know to kind of show men a different way of of dealing with things or with living things around them i, I don't feel at all qualified to to define modern masculinity outside of my own bounds, which I hope is fair. I'm sure many a male gardener has mansplained fertilization to um, <laughs> a woman gardener that knows a lot more about it than they do. But I think gardening you know, has a lot of opportunity and you know, it's an opportunity for humility as well. You're trying to control nature here and I don't know why my kumquat tree suddenly sprouted thorns. And I don't know why my olive tree just upped and died. And I, and I think, you know, accepting that you don't know a lot of things is really challenging to men that are supposed to know things all the time. And I think that's another good aspect that, you know, gardening keeps you humble. So from my perspective, yeah, I think masculinity needs to be a bit humble for about um, 300 years to make up for the past, you know, few thousand. But once we do that, I'm sure we can... We could all make amends, and if plants can help us do that, that would be a beautiful thing indeed. I've been thinking a lot lately about flowers. At some point over time, flowers became this symbol of femininity, which is always strange to me because flowers themselves have a sex, and some are actually male, but most flowers are actually bisexual, meaning they have both male and female reproductive parts. So even this thing that we've gendered as feminine doesn't adhere to these constructs. So why should we let ourselves believe that flowers and gardening are also gendered? Men are not a monolith and masculinity does not have to have just one definition and neither does gardening for that matter. I know I've talked about my family a lot on this show and my grandfather, the engineer, was just this incredible male figure for me as a kid, this role model. And I keep learning more and more about him to this day. 
his interests had no boundaries. I've mentioned he started an ice cream factory. He had farms. He built incredible things from scratch. He was a writer, but he also loved roses. He bred them and he brought in all these rare seeds and cultivated rare flowers that people would come to watch bloom. He also had three types of jasmine in his yard, including one that bloomed and perfumed only at night. The scent used to calm him, and it's actually what inspired me as I started to look into my backyard and start planning for the future. We have this idea that such delicate aspects of nature can't be masculine, but there's no reason for it. In the same way we've seen femininity exude strength and power, it's encouraging to see a wider masculinity that can convey softness and beauty. I find comfort in watching the next generation post online unashamed of their passions and interests and sharing how they can live in more than one lane. It tells me that we're heading towards a more accepting and promising future. Because at the end of the day, the carrots and the hyacinth, they don't care about how much testosterone or estrogen you have. And like all things, the gardening community only gets better with new ideas and different perspectives. Male, female, non-binary. Because to the world out there waiting in your backyard, we're all just humans growing stuff. That's it for today's episode. Don't forget, no matter what season it is or where you're at in your gardening journey, there are some incredible resources waiting for you on the Miracle Grow website. Next time on our show, we're going to talk about regenerative farming practices, stuff you can bring into your backyard. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Also, we want to hear from you. What are your inspiring plant stories, relatable struggles, or growing questions? Tag us in your post or tweet using the hashtag humansgrowingstuff. And don't be surprised if you hear your story featured on an upcoming episode. Humans Growing Stuff is a collaboration from iHeartRadio and your friends at Miracle Grow. Our show is written and produced by Molly Sosha and me, Mangesha Tegler, in partnership with Ryan Ovedia, Daniel Ainsworth, Haley Erickson, and Garrett Shannon of Banter. Till next time, thanks so much for listening.